0: that's why I think now, I still think that there's probably enough biology actually on the farm. We probably don't need to be adding as much and go to more feeding what's there.
1: The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative, low input, regenerative and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil, an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. My name is Nicola Maddick. I work at Nutrisoil. I envisage a future where farmers are rewarded for producing nutrient-rich foods and consumers have this easily available to them. Hello everyone, Nicola Maddick here from Nutrisoil. Today, I'm here with Brendan Patterson from Mara in New South Wales and agroecologist David Hardwick. Uh, we're going to have a chat today with Brendan about how he has increased his soil health. Uh, Brendan farms on an annual rainfall of 520 mils and he has a red loam soil. So, let's have a chat.
0: Looking forward to it. <laughs>
1: David, you had some thoughts?
2: So Brendan, yeah, you farm here near Junee, not far out of Junee in southwest New South Wales. Yeah, and how long have you been here on the farm?
0: Ah, well I grew up here. I only grew up a kilometre south where we are today. Yeah, yeah. Um, So
2: yeah. And when did did you come back and sort of start helping take over the management of the place, sort of?
0: Yeah, well I did the school thing. um, Worked a little bit at home after school. Uh, but mainly, then left school and went away and did a trade. Yeah, and then came home probably after six years. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. once we sort of took on a little bit more country here. Yep. Yeah,
2: so it's big enough for both of you, and so you come back in, yep. started to farm with your old man, and yep. sort of what was the sort of farming system? What was the package of things you were doing then? The crop sequence and the, the rotation, and sort of what was the general approach?
0: Here, yeah, Um back then it was um, we ran a. You call it? we had a lot of sheep, yeah, bred fat lambs, yeah, uh, sold them. So we ran a lot of grazing cereals, um, some canola, oats, uh, wheat, an odd paddock of barley, mm. a few lupins, yeah, yep. a yep. lot of loosened clover pastures, yeah, yeah. Yep. Fair bit have. of fertilizer going out. oh uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of fertilizer in the yep. cropping system, yeah, yeah. We're doing that. Uh, then we're using a. Uh, low disturbance tine cedar. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'd gone to after the combine. Um, worked up a bit of country. Mm. coming back in from loosen. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a work with a knife point to stir a bit of line yep. back in. Yeah. Um, then go into a cropping phase. Cropping phase yep. for a few years. Yep. And then back out into pasture. Yep.
2: Yep. yep. So you yeah, had a system that was was going pretty well. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. No, it was good.
2: Yeah, working here well. So you, you started at some point to think, oh, I'm going to make a few changes here and tweak a few things. Sort of what, what sort
0: of triggered you to start thinking about making some changes? Um, one trigger there was when we had to change our old cedar up. We looked for a new one. Yeah. Uh, bought another farm. So it was time to buy a bigger mm-hmm. cedar, make that a bit easier sowing. Yeah. So we started looking at different options there, and when we went down the seeding path. Yeah, right. yep. Yeah, so it was a big step. Big step there yep. in the early two thousands. Mm. Um, so yeah, get away from burning um, any cultivate working up and stuff. Yep. Yeah. So
2: really trying to go to min min zero till and zero protective till. stubble and all that kind yep. of thing. So big change. How did
0: you find that? Yeah, no, so, that was all right. Yeah, um, it was good. Like we weren't really doing a lot of burning that point because yep. it was a pretty dry period yeah the early 2000s mm. so the old tine setter generally was able to get through pretty well everything mm. um, with an odd one we'd have to do something with but now with the disseter we felt we'd be able to keep that stubble yeah and retain a lot more moisture And yep. so hopefully in the dry years be able to still strip yep. some Pull some crops off
2: yep. yeah yeah yep. so that was a big first step and then mm. what were some of the next changes that started to come up
0: Um, well, after that, then we, just general observations, I suppose, after the next probably five, six years with Mm. that, seeing what was changing in our system, how, um, with all that stubble retention and no disturbance, how the soil's changed a little bit.
2: Yeah. In what way were you seeing the change in them? Like just structure was improving or a bit more organic matter on the surface, litter layer, like
0: what? Um, saw a little bit more... Um, yeah, the structure changed a little bit. Mm. It seemed to take a few years for it to, oh, I don't know, soften up. Yeah. But uh, that seemed to be a comment after that sort of seven or eight years that there yeah. was, paddocks got felt a bit softer to yeah. walk on.
2: Yeah. Um, which was interesting. You see more earthworms coming in the paddock or uh,
0: not, not really? <laughs> wasn't really looking. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not really looking at that stage mm. and those sorts of things, but... um but soil was softening up. It was sort of softening yeah. and things were sort of cycling a little bit. Mm. Uh, and then we got into a couple of wetter years. Uh, what was that, like, say, 2016 was a bit of a point I know I started thinking about things. Yeah. Where it was dry. there was a run of a few dry years coming into that, but then that was a wet year. Mm. And I noticed after that that we had to put a lot of fungicides out that year. Yeah. And I noticed then so after that the stubbles weren't breaking down as well yeah so we just things had to start looking for some change yeah right because eh? previous to that things were
2: cycling well so yeah. so coming in a wet year which you hadn't had with the new with the new tillage approach or non-tillage approach so yeah how did you like obviously burning is one way you might tackle that stubble though but you yep. were looking at something else
0: no well we'd sort of still never burnt anything yeah yeah um yeah, we'd still sow through that and establish our crops quite well.
1: Mm.
0: Um, we were sort of looking at a lot more insect pressures yep. after that year. Yeah. Watching seventeen, what happened there. That's when the change came around our stripper front mm. um, to get a, change that habitat. Yeah. A little bit for the slugs and millipedes. Yeah. Um, but no, it was sorta of, to keep things cycling we just had to stop that fungus oil mm. use, so we
2: Yeah, because fungicides potentially are a bit of an elephant in the room in terms of Mm. disrupting the whole paddock paddock system in terms of plant-soil relationships and all of that. Yeah. They're a bit of an elephant in the room that we're probably all starting to
0: realise. It was. Yeah. But no, just sort of, not just started to rethink about not just putting it out for the sake of putting it Mm. on because that's what we'd sort of been doing to a point in certain crops, but those years we just had to start rethinking it. Mm. So I spent the next couple of years really looking at yeah, ways to avoid using them mm. um that's where i started without
2: taking too much risk
0: without yeah, yeah. without without taking away that that you'd lost sort of mm. the penalty there by not doing it yeah um started playing with a few different things then and so what what were you playing with obviously not tonka tracks <laughs> <laughs> no um no just sort of looking into then got into a bit more of the foliar approach with yep. some nutrition yeah so uh, just settling.
2: trying to fine-tune the nutrient status of the plants in, in crop to yep. keep their resilience up, yeah, yep. plant health? Yep.
0: Um, just started sort of 16 onwards. I sort of started going down to uh, Vic No-Till Conference, yep. got involved down there and mm. just hearing different stories around the place, just what was bringing the diseases in. So we mm. just went down, trialled a few paddocks in 17 with some foliar nitrogen instead of spreading it yep. and to see what happened there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that's a sort of... Kept going from no that. Snowballed, yeah. Yeah. Opened a whole new can of worms. A can of worms. Sh- so that was sort of started sub testing yeah. and yeah. following nutrition. Yeah.
2: So you're really trying to make sure the plant's nutritionally, you know, really well off so that it it's more resistant to problems
0: yep. initially. Like yeah. that's a really proactive way of trying to minimise the problem initially. Mm. Initially and lessons learnt over mm. the last few years is if you just got to put a fungicide on, we just got to do it. Yeah. Mm. Certain yeah. years require it. Yeah most well, i reckon i can get by without it yeah some years you just got oh, it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep.
2: so yep. your sap testing is now tissue testing is now in the toolbox pretty regularly is it a fair comment to say that if you want to use them as a tool you've got to go in boots and all and do it regularly
0: and build up your knowledge of your crops and soil types is that a fair fair comment yeah it's a good comment yeah um yeah and i've got files there from back mm. to 17 when yeah. i started and now i'm going out yeah every month Mm. pretty well start of each month there's a bit of a bit of a gauge but just doing it every four weeks yeah same general area in each in the paddocks I'm just doing yeah yeah just to build up what's going on with that crop for the year yeah
2: and And it gives you that longer term knowledge too with that crop even variety type on those soils and
0: it's just learning over time starting to get to know wet years from dry years Mm. what's what's happening at certain times of the year yeah 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 so it's Making the job easier to go out and apply a folia, what's got to be required mm. and can be prepared. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So would you say your, um, your starter fertiliser proportion in starters switched obviously to a bit more foliar like that ratio? Well, obviously you weren't doing folias at all back in the beginning, but you've switched across so there's a, a fair bit of the nutrition going out as a foliar rather than up
0: front with the starter blend? Yeah, well, we changed a lot of our starters back about 2000, yeah. Yep. We dropped MAP out then. And oh, right, way back then. Yep. Yeah, right. In 2000. In 2000. No. Oh, sorry, 2020. 2020, yeah. 2020, 2020, 2020, okay. Yeah. Yep. 2020, and um, yeah, went into the bio for medicine. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So you've switched the other change you've sort of gone through is using some more biologically activated nutrition yep. programs. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It sort of became an observation through the 17, 18, 19, around biological function of the soil what mm. was happening um doing a lot of research online youtube yeah um, li- watching some conferences from overseas mm. that you could sort of get your hands on yep some recordings yeah uh, seeing people traveling yeah uh, just learning a lot more about what was going on in the soil and what was causing things to mm. do what yeah and then i realized well what we've been doing prior to that point was actually helping in a way yeah like we'd seen a lot of improvement by default for what we were sort of up to where we'd started reducing a lot of our urea the solubles out of the program yeah Yeah, started reducing some map well i can't remember when but instead of going from 80 kilos up front well we we sort of came back to that sort of 30 kilo Mm. point before i dropped it off
2: so do you think a lot of the improvement that you see when you change a paddock over in a cereal or in a cropping situation is if the lowering the solubility is as big a lever as adding biologicals in, you reckon that's it's just as important, or it's more important than some of the biological tactics to just lower that solubility in the program in terms of improving soil function
0: and plant um, health? Or yeah, we've sort of gone away from the soluble aspect of it to being more biologically available. Yeah, um, we've sort of learnt a lot of timings important to have mm. that work right. Um, soil temperature and everything else.
2: Because you, you risk nitrogen cycling if it's too cold. and I don't have the big bucket of nitrogen in my organic matter because yep. it might be low for whatever reason. Yeah. So I, I potentially risk that lack of nitrogen and sulphur cycling to the crop. Yep. Yeah.
0: Um, you're still applying some nitrogen and sulphur. Mm. I know we just need it. Um, but the pea is just that different one, I think. Mm. We're using a lot of slow-release phosphorus, um, soft rock phosphates, and it's just been, or guano, and it's just been, it's been all right. Mm. But then it's, I don't know how to explain a lot of it, but look at soil tests and that. Yeah. And everything's still there. Mm. Like we're not mining it. We're yeah. still, everything's cycling, I think. And
2: yeah. And the yield yields are reasonable and the tissue analysis in the crops is reasonable. Yep. So it must be, the soil system must be delivering pea to the crops through the season.
0: Yeah, I think it is with all our cycling now with all yeah. our stubbles and that. Yeah. that's all cycling back. And so you're seeing
2: the stubble break down faster than a few it years is. ago? Yeah. It is
0: now again. We've got it back to cycling quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just been one of those things to try and make the system work without that fungicide approach mm. to keep it cycling. I know you, that's crucial to giving the crops that nutrition.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Have you you're trying to get the good fungi working rather than worrying about too much of the pathogens that, you know, switch yep. the focus. Yep. So have you used um, double digesters or any of these type of things to help you drive that change or just by changing the overall kind of biology balance, those de- decomposers are kicking back in? What are, you, what are your thoughts
0: there? It's
2: um, a lot of different thoughts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think a few years ago I thought we sort of add, had to add a lot of strains of different Mm. things in to help with those things yeah but sitting back looking now i think we could it's all there we just had to feed it and promote it Mm. create Um, a better environment for a better environment for it yeah yeah. look after what we had naturally yeah so in the field of ecological restoration
2: like when they rehab mining sites or whatever or trying to save biodiversity one of the first principles is reduce the threatening processes Yep. is the first step. Like, yep. there's no point doing all this rehab if I've
0: still got the same threatening process going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah there was no point putting out some... Beneficial... Bacteria or some yeah. fungi there and then go and whack it with yeah. a fungicide. And yeah, kill same, it all. same so, process. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd sort of worked out how to survive without a lot of that stuff anymore, insecticides and mm. fungicides, and we could then start promoting everything again. So yeah. when we added something, we knew it would survive. Um, we and do, feeding it, do it its bit. job. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, and I think the soils at that now have really started to change. Mm. Yeah, We can see that A-horizon's developing, gotten, developed a, a lot more. Yeah. It's um, gone from sort of a couple of inches now out to sort of 100, 150 mil yep. of that yep. A-horizon. It's yeah, gotten yep. darker. Yep. Uh, it's a lot softer. Getting a bit of structure back in there. Yep. You seen
2: earthworms yet or not? Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. plenty
0: of earthworms <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: No, it's good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah no so the other big change is you bought a spade and started to dig a bit <laughs> you know, or pinch someone's spade. There's yeah. always a shovel in the back of the yeah, air. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. If you can't find a worm, you just tip a bucket of water on the ground and yeah, it'll come they'll back. come up. up. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can stick mustard, you can put some mustard powder in the water and tip that in and yeah, that, right that drives them to the surface. Okay. So I mean, saves okay. you having to do too much manual labour. Yeah.
1: Stay away from our worm beds. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> so Creating the habitat, mm. how, do, how do you do that? So you talked about the stripper front, first of all, and the word habitat came up there. Yep. Tell us what you meant by that.
0: Um, well in, back there with, with all the residues coming out of the back of the header, it was just sort of chopped up chaff that just sort of sat on the soil when you get a rain and sort of squashed and I don't know, it's like lawn clippings. Yeah. You get a big pile of lawn clippings, the water doesn't really suffocates, it. suffocates yeah, the ground, okay. yeah, it doesn't breathe um the water doesn't really infiltrate it, it sort of washes off what it sits in the top. Yeah. Um, so we sort of got rid of that layer which is generally where a lot of slugs and millipedes and earwigs yeah. and they seem to thrive in that environment where it was They wait there for the young crop and then go, yeah, let's yeah, just wait here until they crop that. So not only that there was an issue sort of sewing in with the disc seed mm-hmm. and yeah. the really thick areas of that. So we got into the stripper front which then just took away all that really fine trash. Yeah. So
1: there is such a thing as too much trash, or just how it's distributed in the paddock.
0: I think it's just how it is. Yeah. Distributed in the paddock, yeah. yeah. Yep.
1: So you've got st- uh tall stubble. Tall stand. stubble, yep, mm.
0: yep. And yeah, it's just, instead of mowing everything off at ankle height yeah. and leaving it on the ground, it's just really tall and we just run through it with the seed real easy. Yeah. Yep. It'll help with wind in the dry years, hot time yep. too, it'll just help with that Yeah, wind the wind factor. Yep. Sure. It seems to create another climate on the mm. surface, like a lot of shading, um, soil doesn't get as hot yep. in the summer, so that's really good for the bugs. Yeah. They're not, um, yeah. And then when it rains, well it just stays wet. Yeah. It's not drying out, yeah, the wind's not Not on that surface anymore. Yeah, giving you that evaporation and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've just found a lot of those decomposers have come back and they're cycling everything then. So then when we sow through the paddock, well, we tend to roll, half it gets rolled over and, yeah. yeah, leave a little bit standing, but some of it's still on a bit of an angle for a bit of protection for the wind. Yeah. Which seems to work, Mm. yeah.
1: Was that a big decision, buying that stripper front?
0: Um, Well, I've been looking at them for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that's where we had to get to. It um, it was always going to help us get away from all those establishment issues that we were sort of having yep. for a couple of years in certain conditions. If it rained at sowing, yeah, you might heap in a little bit or something. Yep. But mm. um, we tried the Arix wheels and stuff, but that just became more of a hassle than any good. Yeah. Yeah. So after a year or two of them, I took them off. Yeah. Yeah. I found they stirred up more weeds than actually yep. moving the Trash it out of the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Do you see something coming along after this stripper front? Like, is is there any complications at the moment, or anything holding you back that you think, oh, I wish it could tweak. I wish there'd be oh something God. that would
0: tweak.
2: Flame weeders or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't know what's next in that area. But I it's think the next thing we're really focused on is just that plant nutrition. How to get things healthier at the start. and yep survive without a lot of inputs and still maintain good production.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Whether we can do it or not, I don't know. Yeah.
2: So you're really fine tuning your nutrient programs and and you're doing really regular monitoring now with sap tests, tissue tests, soil tests. So you're really trying to get very targeted in that program, which is obviously a bit more work than Mm. a normal program where you're just putting the starter out. What about from a cost point of view versus a kind of general starter with maybe some end to keep something going in a good year? Or get to capture that extra yield what do you reckon the overall sort of pro ways pros and cons of the two cost base and um, two approaches
0: yeah well the prescriptive synthetic farming's mm. pretty simple yeah um,
2: and it gets a job done like oh it's in, easy you just yeah. know what you're
0: doing yeah um yeah with what we're up to yeah it's a bit bit busier hectic mm. um but then i'm doing a lot more observations and doing SAPs but yeah. trying to then target the program then to not spend as much on the input side of things. Yeah. Um, but then trying at the other side, maximise the production too by giving it a trace element that it probably required, that it yeah. wasn't getting otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. <coughs> And minimise the risk of disease, giving it penalty yeah. as well.
0: Minimise the disease risk but that also, because we do get a lot of frost here, um, you know, minimise the overall expenditure. Mm. So um, at the end of the day, it's all risk for reward. So yep. just reducing yeah. that cost. So if we've got a frost, well, we haven't lost as much. Mm. Um, yeah, but still trying to maintain that production. Yep. Yep. yeah, Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: So monthly testing, and then you've got varieties of different seed, and then you've got varieties of seasons. How are you making those decisions and comparisons? Where do you, where do you see that? Um, that's
0: a good one. Um, Heel, yeah, every season does change. Um, we seem to be in a run of wet years at the moment, um, which is proving its own challenge. Yeah. Um, we're all very good at getting things to work in the dry years, which I think is where our system is, was really suited to the drier seasons, not so much the wetter seasons.
1: Which system are you talking? The one that you've moved. The
0: into? one that we're doing now, like with our uh, cedar, strip of front, yeah. um, very good at heart, like infiltrating water, yeah. water retention, yeah. Yeah. Um, pre- preparation for those dry years to grow something, but now it's been raining pretty well, yeah. three years nonstop. Yeah. Do you think um, part
2: of that is because there's not as much free drainage below that topsoil level? That's not allowing a bit more drainage to go on just from the historical paddock condition? Or do you think, what, what do you put it down to that in oh. the, the, the wetter years, the, the soil system's not quite going as well as
0: say in the dry years? Well, in the wetter years, we're getting the water to infiltrate. Yeah. Um, but then we're not having the chance to utilise it because. Yeah, it's right. So we haven't wet. got as much and there's yeah, no evaporation is, off yeah. the soil. More um, cloudy days, less yep. plant growth. The yeah. plant just seems to have to transpire <clears> the water, uh, grow biomass. Mm. Um, but yeah, all our soakages are running really well. Yeah. Uh, we've even got a few new ones that have opened up. So there's plenty of water in the profile. Mm. It's yeah. a bit of a negative of what we're up to. Yeah. But, um, you can sort of see it now, a lot of the gullies that we've filled in for cropping years ago because they never ever were wet. They were just sort of in the way and growing weeds. Yeah. Well, now that we've filled them all in years and years ago, but now the last two years they've been they're very wet. They're running as a gully,
2: or they're a gully, and you can sort of yeah. see
0: that. Obviously, in time, mm. it generally was wet like this. Yeah, okay. And they'd run water years ago, which is why it eroded. Cause yeah. It's, some of them have just been running for three years. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see why it eroded the way it did.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. So no, it's just been little challenges, but yeah. one of the ways you're trying to deal with
2: that is with the companion cropping. Intercropping, can you, yeah, just take us through when you first started to trial some of those dual crops or intercrops or whatever term you yep. want to use, companion crops?
0: A lot of terms there. Yeah, there are <laughs> often, They're often used the same sort yeah. of way, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. No, I started playing with some of them probably in 18, 19, mm. finding some mixes. Some of it was for grazing uh, around livestock.
1: You still had livestock
0: then? No. Yeah. Oh yeah, about I think 16 or 17 they left. Yeah. But we'd always buy in a few steers to grow out. Yeah. Yeah, so we'd always have something then to, as a multi-species you'd call it, yeah. grow early, grow some bulk, yeah. some cattle on it and then trade them off later and lock it up and strip it. Yeah. But nowadays they've been too dear to buy.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's been, still wanting to have the mix for some diversity, um, try and keep improving our soils around the diversity, different exudates from the roots. So it's been, putting a couple of things together still sown early and then cereals. Well, I've had wheat, wheat same with vetch and tillage radish and then sprayed the broadleafs out later on to bring it back to a monoculture for harvest logistics. Yeah. Whereas some of the, the canola I've left with canola and vetch and stripped it and then separated the two different seed sizes afterwards or canola and beans. Mm. Yeah. Even to the point last year did beans and lupins together as well just purely just for where the paddocks were and what we wanted to achieve there.
2: Yeah. So it gives it more flexibility in wet conditions to choose what you're growing there. Yeah, like um, we are
0: seeing last year with the canola, where it was really wet, the canola would sort of die out. Yeah. Um, whereas the vetch would stay and grow. Mm. So at the end of the day, we were still achieving a yield off all the paddock instead of yep. missing and having you're getting zero. That photosynthesis
2: areas. coming in on yep. those areas that would have been bare.
0: Stop yep. the weeds growing, something yep. was growing so yep. we still generated some income. Fixing nitrogen. Yeah. Yep. yep. Fixing a bit of N mm. helps out with next year's crop. Yeah. Help with all the stubble cycling. Mm. Um but I've also seen this year with all the been a bad year up here this year around slug pressure. Yeah. A lot of people having a lot of slug issues. So it's sort of been another thing that's really convinced me around that companion planting is where the slugs were or millipedes or slaters were wanting to eat all the canola. Well, they'd left the beans, they left the vetch. So we still actually had something growing there. Yeah. But the canola never seemed to be wiped out totally. You still got one or two plants of canola there, which I know will still act as a trellis for that vetch yeah. later in the spring to climb up and be able to achieve what its potential will be. Yeah.
1: So you're saying really these companion crops are more for risk you know, managing risk yep. as well as increasing soil health. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's just, not like, do you get more yield?
0: Oh. Well, last year you yeah. did. Yeah. The nil strip with just the monoculture, canola, obviously yielded less than yeah. where it was canola and veg. Yeah, okay. But last year was a wet year, so the veg was just uh, extra. Yeah. But then also on the other side of that, well, eight out of 10 years, the veg is worth more money than canola too. Yeah. So it's sort of a little bit of a win.
1: Yeah. You talked about uh, less weed pressure in companion cropping. Is it because it's using more moisture? Uh,
2: or coverage, just physical
1: yeah. coverage. Yeah, I think
0: that, that when things go right, you get better hmm. better cover. Um, so there's no holes for the yeah. for the things. But I just know like where last year in some of the monoculture canola where the slugs ate out a patch, yeah, a lot of rubbish grew. Yeah. But in the other paddocks where we had a bit of vetch or beans growing in there, it wasn't as bad. Yeah. Still got a few plants here because it was still open enough, but we still They could still give that
2: coverage. Yeah, we still go got
0: something open. to grow. It yeah, wasn't as bad. Yeah. But...
2: So the changing to dual cropping or companion cropping, how big a change from a logistics, you know, point of view of planting gear and seed boxes and like how much of a logistics is it? Um... Yeah, well, how do you rate it in terms of tweaking farming the farm? farming business, how, how big of a problem or challenge is it?
0: Oh, it's, it's a pretty good challenge. Mm. Um, it's... Logistics haven't been too bad because I've just blended it together before sowing. Yeah, right. So it all goes okay. into one bin. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, as I don't have multiple bins on my yeah. air cart, uh, love to, mm. but it's just one of those things I know I can blend because the ratios aren't that... They're pretty low ratios, so... Yeah um i've worked out that i can just blend it as i load the truck mm. at home yeah yeah so that's made that easier um separating after harvest yeah we store it home in grain bags and then separate
2: yeah so you can harvest. grade it off if the seeds are yep. pretty different you can yeah two
0: different distinct seed sizes mm. makes yep. that easier yeah um yeah i went and bought a scalping unit last year to do all that myself instead yep. of hiring a a uh, grading machine yeah so I just do it myself now.
1: Is it very time-consuming, like adding that extra job? It is.
0: It's just one of those things you do. Yep. Yeah. 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 If you want it to work, you make it work. Mm. Yeah.
1: So Brendan, you just talked about time-consuming when it comes to seed grading. What about biofits? Should we now talk about them?
0: <laughs> um, a lot of time in them. Yep. You're trying to make it simpler. I am. It is. I knew the first year you'd be pretty consuming because. Yeah. Really wanted to make sure it's right um, to understand it. The only way to do it's to do it yourself and yeah. learn how to mix everything properly, um, brewing it all and everything else. Like just takes time and to know the steps. Yeah. To go through it all. Um, yeah. I just know then the second year it was a lot quicker. Yeah. I worked out shortcuts. Um, got around, bought a bit of different gear, changed some infrastructure, just to make things easier. Yeah.
1: What was the most time consuming in the first year? Just research and learning or mistakes or?
0: Uh, Spent, yeah, well from 16 onwards spent three years looking at what to do, how to change things uh, while still reducing our MAP and urea rates, just winding down slowly. So as when I do decide to take the step, well I knew what I'd be doing, whether it was a compost, teas, extracts, or going down the bioferment path. Mm-hmm. And I felt the bioferments were probably more beneficial because to me, the bioferments were about getting the benefit from the livestock without running the livestock. Yeah. Yep. So, and because we got rid of the sheep, made that decision back in about 16 to move away from them um, and then just run a few cattle from time to time. Well, yeah. So, to me, this felt was the benefit of running the cow without running the cow across the farm. So.
1: Is that because the base of them had manure and offal and things in them?
0: So you got the benefits from all the manure. Yeah. But being able to apply it evenly across the farm. Yeah. Without having the animal walk across it and compact it. Yep. No. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So where did you learn about them?
0: Oh, um, internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the internet did a bit of traveling. Went overseas with um, Vicno Tilling 2017, looked at a lot of companion plantings, um, sort of some stuff in composts and things, just how to be more biological, look at things that through the states. Um, from that, come back, yeah, uh, listening to different, just talking to different farmers around and seeing what they've been done and hearing different people talk at different conferences. Then travelled over to Western Australia, had a look over there for a bit. Um, Every year look around Victoria, South Australia with people I know and what they're up to, how they've changed what they're doing, what they've found working and not working. And then went off and did a course with Kim Cruz on the bifurmeds, how to make it and yeah, apply all that in 2019, I think that might have been, yeah, so yeah.
1: Do you get to a point where you learn how to tweak them all yourself and you don't stay with the recipes or is it, um, is it something that you just go, that's a recipe for this, that's a recipe for that? Like what what's the flexibility you've got in making these biofets? Just tell us what's involved basically.
0: Oh, they're all pretty flexible. Yeah. Um, I've found over a couple of years, um, seems to be a matter of me working out what works for me and suits what I'm up to here and what my crops want, what my soil wants. Um, our sowing mix, I just started off by making a um, just a multi-blend shotgun mix of just what I felt I knew I was lacking in, generally lacking here in my soils and the crops needed. And then just started to balance it after that through the foliar sprays after sub-testing. I could then target. So give them a bit of a Rolls Royce starter,
2: biostarter yeah. bio starter yep. and then just tweak it with the folias. Yep, yeah. just low
0: amounts of just about everything mm. at the start and then just touch it up as the year went from there. So You
1: basically set your whole shed up and, and you, you really, for a whole two years, were, were making your own fertilisers.
0: Yep, yep. Tell
1: us about it. like.
0: Oh, that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, everyone just said it's no different to making beer. So, so true. So true. Or kombucha. <laughs> yeah. So, but just larger scale, that's yeah. all. Um, he's offering
2: eco funeral services. If you want to just get your corpse dissolved <laughs> at the end of your life. Your
0: the hardest thing I found was to physically go and get that starting point, whether it was the cow porch, yeah. or, mm. which I did the first year, um, having access to that yeah. when you don't actually run any cattle. Yeah. Um, but found a way to source that. And then second year it was moved over and went to the manure. Yeah. A little bit easier to source by going, going and seeing a mate down the road and shoveling up some manure and bringing it home and doing what we had to do. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, it all took time. Um, but then realising the quality of the manure, what the cow's been grazing on to get the better quality organisms in that manure, mm. um, drenching, what like the cattle mm. been drenched and whatnot.
2: It can be pretty variable, that quality so, of yeah, manure. Yeah. A lot of variability yeah. started
0: to, I think about that. Yeah. So. It was then to move to, still wasn't that bad a job to work with the manure. To me, I found that quicker and easier than the porch Yeah. But um, it's still just something to go and do. And the last two years, well, we've gone to then just reproducing um, a lot of BAM, beneficial anaerobic microbes and using them as our base.
1: You've been making them yourself?
0: Just buying them in concentrate and then reproducing it, expanding it out. Um, just because that was just being quicker and easier. Yeah. Because we've had harvest run a lot longer the last couple of years. with wet harvest, uh, relentless summer spraying program and therefore just not being quite organized. Yeah. Uh, that time thing. And I've sort of learnt that it might not be as good a quality as the cow base, yeah. but it's being a good substitute at the moment. It does a job. It's doing its yeah. job. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and there's different so. starters
2: out there, like some of them yep. you can make and some of them you can buy and they're probably, if they're fermenting well, then
0: they're obviously doing a job. Yep, Yeah. yep, so and I'm seeing that as being, plus it's one less step. Mm. We're not, it's, everything that's going into those tanks, are like all the sulphates dissolve, that starter's just a liquid, there's no solids to be filtering out at the end too. Yep. So it's just one less step, which we have found. Handling. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. Yep, handling mm. and ease. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, so you've learnt just to tweak it to suit you. Just tweaking
0: little things to suit our workload, timings. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But if you hadn't have done it from the start, you wouldn't have learnt how to tweak it yourself. And you talked about how exciting it was.
0: It's pretty exciting. I still want to go back to use the manure. Yeah. I still see it's beneficial. Yeah. It's just having that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in time we'll probably do a bit of a blend between both. Yeah. 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 I think then still mixing it up, getting some diversity and just whether we've got enough um the of the cellulose digesting bugs yeah. in what we're doing now yeah. whereas using the cattle manure yeah i know there's some in it yeah yeah
2: so, Could so do it's a t- slurry type approach where you make a slurry out of yep. manure yeah combine it with one of the off-the-shelf starters yeah and you get a bit of best yeah. of both worlds best without both the worlds. suspended fiber
0: and all the rest yeah. of it yeah because yeah. 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 that was difficult to mm. obviously start off in a shuttle it's always a lot in the shuttle. You get, yeah. It doesn't come mm. out the taps at the bottom. Mm. Yeah. Same with the big cone bottom tanks. It's always awkward to get that out the bottom. Yeah. So it was just good to move away from that. Yeah. yeah. And knowing also that I could also filter all that before I put it in the tank too. Some of that really coarse
1: yeah.
0: uh, residue off early. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also make it a bit easier too. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're talking about still chasing different strains. like. Is, is putting the whole system together not enough? You're still looking for different strains for in everything you do? Or what, what's making you consider that? Is there things that weren't working that you've gone, well, what microbe does that? And do I have mm. that? Do I think I'm making that? There must be a lot of questions. It is, is it, am I putting out the right thing? I'm making it myself. There's know. no QA here. Yeah. No, there's
0: not. And no, no, sort me. of. Unfortunately there's sort of no one to really go to yeah. to find this, like it's, yeah. um, it's basically observations at home yep. uh, along the way and every year's is different so you're sort of chasing something different all the time, um, trying to find a good all round base mm. which is, I don't know, hard to work out what's the good average to start with and, yeah. and that's why I think now I've, I still think that there's probably enough biology actually on the farm we probably don't need to be adding as much and go to more feeding what's there. Yeah. Uh, And look after it. The
2: plant root, the exudates from the plant roots and the diversity of plants is going to do as much of the
0: heavy lifting as anything else. Yeah, instead Mm. of chasing these one or two certain strains, I think they're probably there, but we just need to... But the fact you're saying your stubble breakdown Mm. much more effectively
2: tells you that there must be the fungi that do that job out there working now that weren't working before. Yeah. yeah. No,
0: it's... uh, And I think it's around... The ro- crop rotations, like having a, having a really good legume every couple of years yep. to help with some nitrogen, to help digest all that high carbon residue. Yeah. Whereas um, I know in our cropping system, we've, we've had a phase here where we went faba beans and then canola for weed control, but we just had no carbon residue on the soil surface. Yep. So all that nitrogen just started to mm. consume all the root structures in the soil, even break down all that, the carbon bean. Yeah. So we're seeing organic carbons go down a little. Yep. But since we're tweaking our rotation around a bit more and try and have that cereal crop at least every second year or a couple of years in a row,
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we've actually seen that... Balance that carbon and, carbon and nitrogen. carbon nitrogen ratio yeah. balance yeah. out. I think that's why the companion works well with it. Mm. It just keeps things ticking over and yep. digesting. And Another benefit
1: mm. that isn't really a yield benefit. Not so much that, but crops. just
0: in the...
2: Way the yeah. residue cycles There's and yeah. efficiency of nutrient cycling, yeah. And, yeah. which in the long run is going to
0: lead to evenness of yield and all that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, building that a horizon, getting <clears throat> that carbon levels mm. up, which yeah. you can see, you just put the shovel in the ground to see that a horizon's gotten darker and mm. deeper. Yeah, so I know that things yeah. are going the right way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As long as the bank, the bank balance is not
2: going, and like that's this too. That's,
0: that's the thing. Yeah, has again.
1: that been a, a standout for you?
0: Like it's a challenge. Like it's a business. We've got debts, like everyone does. Yeah, and to still try and still gotta dr- still gotta have money coming in you still gotta yep. be profitable yeah
1: so hence the long-term transitions
0: slow transitions moving things slowly not just sort of jumping straight in mm. and yeah i've done a bit of that in the past and yeah some things have worked and some things haven't yeah you know it's
2: yeah. it's about managing that risk as you change over yep. isn't it that's important
0: yep. yeah, yeah. Just getting out and going and looking at it for a few years before actually implementing a yeah. change, yeah. instead of just seeing, seeing what oh this worked for Joe Blog, uh, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Realising it doesn't work for you.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, understanding what some of the different contexts are involved between where you are and where that person is. Yeah. yeah. Different, yeah. Climate
2: There's different climate challenges. This climate. Salt soils. Yep. Seasonal, pHs. seasonal rainfall patterns, yep. all of that comes in, there's it? a lot
0: of things that have changed and I mm. learned over years to really look at a lot of things. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Definitely go to go and travel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yep.
1: You yeah. you talked about um, there being no guide, like you you actually have to work it out yourself. What about the fear of over application and on folias? Do you have you has that ever been a concern to you?
0: Not a over application probably more of an under application because okay. only putting low amounts on yeah so to me over applying something i don't think i would because yeah. i'm just doing a sap test on the monday and then be in there with a the boom spray the thursday friday or early that's a quick
1: turnaround that's quick amazing turnaround, yeah so Ac-Vita. i can see yeah.
0: if it doesn't want copper well it won't have copper go in the mix yeah if the copper levels are high yeah so even
2: then and the rates per hectare are not high in the mixes. No, they're only low the rates.
0: tank diluted. Yeah. So yeah. your risk rules yeah. get pretty low, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. only, it's regular applications of small amounts. Mm. Yeah. Um, to me, we might only be doing one extra pass in a boom spray but yeah. a year, but most of the time, we're always running over it with a heap of herbicides and a couple of fungicides anyway, or a fertiliser application with a spreader. Yeah. So to me, we're just running the boom spray instead of a spreader a couple of times. Yeah. So, so the, fit,
2: the actual paddock operations is pretty similar. It's just what's going out. Just it's out different. one machine instead of yeah. two. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So we do still spread a little bit. Um, still spreading urea early. Um, just I think I've had a go at doing foliars from the start, and I just haven't been able to make them work as well. Yeah. So I think a low application with urea is still early, early winter is still beneficial here where we are.
1: Yeah, but not at, not at sewing. At sewing, it's just your biological mix.
0: Yeah, just got all the just my sewing mix. Uh, a little bit of starter N, a little yep. bit of UAN, just to give it a kickstart at the start. Yeah, um, we've learnt that we still had to have a bit of nitrogen at the start yep. to get things going. And what's your
2: car, organic matter or organic carbon levels? There, like what do you run at? What's oh. sort of the range there,
0: Brennan? One point five. Yeah, righto. Yeah. yeah, there's is no. not no. like sorta. There's a couple of paddocks that are below that, but there's yeah. a fair, fair bit of the country's up. A bit above
2: that, Sort yeah. of, some of
0: them need to start. to guess,
2: yeah, i just ask that because obviously yeah. nitrogen lives in that organic matter reserve. Mm. That's a super fund, and yep. if it's not big, then you you know, you know don't have yeah. a lot for that starter.
0: Yeah, now we've yeah. seen it coming up slowly, mm. yeah, um, which is good, but we're just still spreading a little bit. I just think we need a little bit of that, give it energy to get the crop to grow through the winter when it gets cold and wet, and I just think that small plant... Trying to put a foliar on, mm. I just just couldn't get that to work properly. Yeah, yeah. For a major
2: think, nutrient too.
0: Like yeah. yeah, yeah. It's cold; the biology mm. shut down. Like soil temps are only eight degrees. Yeah, things are things are slow. Mm. So we'll kickstart all that back in sort of August. Yeah, when things warm up and everything starts cycling Yeah. Mm.
1: So you've been using tissue and sap testing for maybe six years now, um, consistently. Yep. What lessons have you learnt from it? Or, or what's your general summary that you can give us? Is it a useful tool?
0: Uh, yeah, I do find it useful. Um, it's been really good to know at what crop stage, crops using what. Um, so I know now coming into that period to really elevate those levels, um, especially like a good one, like in canola at that flowering stage, like the calcium, just has such a big draw on calcium in the plant. I suppose it's rapidly growing, producing seed, so a lot of cell division. So keeping things like that topped up, coming into that stage, yeah. You know it's coming. Yep, yep, and know what it's using. So that's just taken a few years to Get the pattern. The putting it together, yeah, looking at a heap of saps yeah. and looking in seasonal, seasonal changes too. You can mm-hmm. see what what crops using what in certain years too. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you see insects or grubs in your paddock, you just seem to know already what's going to be low because i see something in there, I'll go and do a sap test just to see what's what's low, why has it brought the insects in. Yeah, yeah. So it's just...
2: And that's really what we said early on in the conversation, Brandon, you know, if you're going to use it, go in boots and all, do it regularly, yep. build up yep. your understanding over time. Yeah, yeah. 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 In
1: conjunction with observation. Mm. Yeah. And making notes mm. and putting a database together. Is that what you've done? Yeah, just
0: yeah. got it all there on file. I really got to organise it a bit better, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, just seeing what's happening, yeah, what trends are. Yeah. 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 So I'm still learning a lot with it, and it could take a while yet too, but yeah. it's just an idea what to have ready to go. Yeah. Because making your own chelated nutrition, well, you just need to... It doesn't happen in one day. You just don't duck down to the shop and grab it. It takes time mm. to ferment everything, dissolve everything, put it together, let it bubble away for a while. Mm. I guess so. the ferments
2: the good thing is they usually have a pretty good shelf life too, yeah. so they can sit yep. there and, yeah. Just knowing that
0: having the base is right, ready to go and mm. yeah, away yeah. we go.
1: How long do they need to bubble away for, uh-huh.
0: generally? It's the thing, they're there for a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, 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 gotta be ready. Gotta
0: be ready, organised, so it's taken a few years to be organised. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your top tip in companion cropping? Oh.
2: hemp, he's going to say hemp you know that
0: Hemp. companion cropping yeah basically know what you're in for Um, if you're going to strip it all put it together to harvest know what you're going to do, how you're going to separate it storage um, marketability, if you can't separate it where's the marketplace to put it when it's all mixed together still so just being prepared for what Comes out at the other end, yeah. Yeah. Bit like a farming, be have have a place to send their product at the end. Don't do it without that in your yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah. Storage. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Just know what you're getting into. Yeah. 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 Yep. So yeah.
2: Which so should... Brendan, sort of, what's the current things you're kind of working on? Like, where's the next area of sort of improvement that you're looking at with the farm, with the with agronomy and growing the crops and things?
0: Um, market. The marketability marketability of our produce. Um, so that's di- coming back to the quality of the product. Quality of the product. product um, yeah. Nutritional density, those kind of yep. things. Yep. yep. We've done a bit of early analysis mm. a couple of years ago yep. around that and saw that there was a difference mm. between our stuff and uh, some conventionally grown stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, there seems to be a lot more chatter now out in the marketplace around. Oh, there's a new certification, regen yep. certification program, It'll give you more paperwork. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. But there's a lot of things coming, I think, in the next mm. couple of years. Yeah. Um, being prepared for that, knowing what we've got and actually what, what they mm. want, yeah. um, which is interesting. So, yeah, we've got more stuff we'll send away this year for analysis mm. again yeah. to keep yeah. knowing which way we're going, that yeah. we are going the right way. Yeah. And when it's here, we will be ready. Mm. Yeah, when yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all positive so far. Looking at some of the tests so far, they've all come back very positive.
1: What types of things are you doing testing in?
0: Um... Oh, well, there's sort of nutrients, the nutrient density of it. um, Fat profiles. Fat profiling, Mm. yeah, Mm. healthy fats. um, Yeah.
2: That means a whole lot of new labs that you're going to have to deal with and new jargon. Oh, that's it.
0: (coughs) But it's just trying to make sure we can achieve something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a better quality, why can't we get something better for it? Yeah.
1: And that nutrient testing is basically just ground up Brain and a tissue test.
0: Pretty sure so.
1: Yeah, but that's what you're sending yeah. it away. From yeah, sending it to a test. lab to yeah. get all done properly and yeah. the
0: analysis come back. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's pretty interesting when you get into it. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. watch well,
2: used to do it with his yep. eggs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. yeah.
1: yep. so interesting that yeah. it's farmer led, isn't it?
0: Oh, that's it is, yeah. Once you start looking at it, you see that there's a lot of low quality stuff out yeah. there.
1: And
0: yeah. And, you know, it's just up to people further down the line to start recognising it
2: and... Yeah. I'm, ready, I'm ready to eat your buckwheat, mate. Just get it in some retail packs in Albury and I'll be buying it.
0: Yeah, righto. You know.
2: There you go. Yeah. Watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> I will be. I will be. Don't worry. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I just think um, it's really exciting. And like you said, you were so excited doing these bioferments, just trying to understand how things work. And now you're really excited about Finding out the nutrient and the quality of the food. Like it's it's we're really grateful that there's farmers like you out there, Brendan. So thank you. No, and all right. Thank you for chatting with us today. No, all right. no, thanks it's for great. having us, Brendan. It's yeah. been
2: great.
1: Please follow the Biological Farming Roundtable podcast. Share it with your friends and networks. I'm Nicola Madig and I work at Nutrisoil, a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food.